So if you could be praying for us next week as well, we'd appreciate that. Hey, I hear it. There we go. See, little faith, right? Just You just got to trust the Lord. This will work. Okay, so I want to invite our children to Children's Church. And uh, Kathy will meet you back there. And uh, while they're going, let's uh, open in a word of prayer. Lord, um, we're grateful for your word, the entire Bible, all of it. But, Lord, I've been really impacted by First Peter as we've been going through it. And so I'm grateful for you inspiring your apostle to write this book. And thank you that he wrote it um, and you wrote it for all ages. So this is applicable for us and we need to hear it. Um, Lord, help us to hear. Holy Spirit, would you open our minds and our hearts to hear. And, Father, we think of uh, those of uh, our members who are not able to join us today because of COVID again. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would be healing them, that they wouldn't be stricken too bad with it. And Lord, that this would be the, the tailing end of the uh, pandemic, that it would finally and, and peaceably wind down. Um, Lord, that's only possible through your grace and through your mercy to humanity. And so we, pre we pray and we plead that uh, you would bring that about. Uh, Father, we also want to pray for Daniel Holmquist, our previous pastor. Uh, Father, we thank you for his recovery uh, from surgery, getting the... Um, the uh, chemo pump installed, and, and Father, I know he's going through a lot of pain as, as being cut up to have that kind of stuff done is, is going to be difficult. Lord, would you be with him and restore him, uh, restore him to, to uh, his strength, and uh, Father, show your goodness to him so that he might show your goodness to the nations. Um, have mercy on him. Father, we also want to pray for Chris and Anthony Cannavaro. Um, they're friends of, uh, of Steve Carranza. Um, Father, thank you that Chris is, is largely recovered from uh, pneumonia and, and kidney failure because of the collapsed lung and the anti, uh, antibacterial or whatever it was, the drugs they gave him. But, Father, we pray especially for Anthony, who um, has uh, suffered really bad brain damage because he, he was choking on food. And, uh, Father, it looks like he's, he may not recover. But, Lord, we know that all things are in your hands, and so we trust Anthony to you. We pray that you would bring healing to him. And, uh, Lord, if that is not your will, if that's not what's best and most perfect, then we pray that all his friends and family would be comforted in the knowledge that he is with you, that, that you are his God and he cares, or you care for him. Uh, so, Father, we just ask and plead for mercy. And, um, and in the meantime, Lord, give us uh, strength to trust you. Uh, Father, may we find that strength now in your word as we turn to that. 
Lord, Holy Spirit, open your word to us, we ask again. In Christ's name, amen. So um, if there was a pool um, on when I was going to do this, uh, the correct answer is immediately. Okay, so here's, here's the thing. Um, Star Trek Strange New Worlds debuted Thursday. How soon was it until I would use it as a sermon illustration? <laughs> immediately. <laughs> I'm not going to tell, now I'm, I'm, I want you guys to understand the nerd, I have to restrain at this point because I really want to go off on this, but I, I went through it, I preached about four or five times last night, slimming it down and going, okay, this is what I want to say about this. So there's more to be said. If you want to talk about it, I'd be glad to talk to you about it. But Strange New Worlds premiered uh, Thursday. It's the new Star Trek series. And uh, the time frame is it takes t place about 10 years before Captain Kirk was on the Enterprise. So it's, it's a prequel to the original series. And the captain now is a man named Christopher Pike. Well, we met Christopher Pike previously on this other series called Discovery. Um, the, we met him, uh, the man playing him is Anson Mount. He's really uh, charismatic and he's a good guy to play him. But in that series, what happened is because of very Star Trek-y reasons, uh, Captain Pike had to grab this thing called the Time Crystal. And when he touched it, he saw his future. And it terrified him. Because in Star Trek canon, what happens to Christopher Pike is there is an explosion, and he saves a bunch of cadets by rushing in, and he's exposed to this terrible radiation that ju just burns his body. And so where we meet him in Star Trek, the original series is he's in a wheelchair. And he's horribly disfigured. And the only thing he can do is make a light on his wheelchair flash once for yes or twice for no. That's all he can do. But internally, in his mind, he's intact. He's, he's perfectly functional. It's just his body is gone. And so where we meet him in Strange New Worlds is the Enterprise is in dry dock. And he's on his ranch in Montana. And he's dealing with this vision that he got of himself. He's, he's wrestling with it. And he's wondering, is he going to return to Starfleet? And his girlfriend asks him, when are you going to talk about it? And he says, talk about what? And she said, the thing that you've been trying really hard not to talk about. And he says, it's classified. He can't talk about it. He can't talk about this vision. So later on, on the Enterprise, he's speaking with Spock. And Spock kind of figures out what's going on. And he tells Spock that he's really troubled by this vision. He keeps seeing it over and over. He says, I didn't just see it. I experienced it. I felt all the, all the emotions, all the feelings. And he says, am I going to be a good leader? Can I, can I lead with this knowledge that this is going to happen to me? And Spock, being Spock, said, is it soon? <laughs> kind of callously, you know, is it going to happen? No, it's about 10 years. Is that soon? That seems soon now. And so the question that he's, he's going to wrestle with throughout this series for a little bit anyway is, how does he deal with this vision of himself in the future? And will that affect his leadership? And it's that vision of the future that really does affect him. And so the reason I bring that up is not just because I'm a big Star Trek nerd, but because what Peter's going to tell us today is he's going to give us a vision of our future, and it had better affect us. So his question to us this morning is, what is the reason for your hope? And the answer that he gives us is going to be, I think, pretty surprising. It's, it's a pretty strong answer, stronger than I, I was expecting when I first looked at it. So P Peter's going to begin again. He's, he's mentioned this before, but he's going to talk about persecution. Now, he touched on it briefly in uh, chapter 1, verse 6. He says, in this re you rejoice, if now, for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials. So he's kind of, you know, circumspect and light touch on it. In 2.12, he says, keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable, 
so that when they speak evil against you, or so that they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So he's anticipating the Gentiles to speak poorly of the Christians. And then in, um, in chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, he's talking to servants. And he says, uh, it's a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it and you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So he's kind of hit this, this idea of, of uh, suffering, this uh, the unjust suffering that we'll, we'll deal with. And uh, now he's going to come to it and deal with it a little bit more fully. But even when he talks about it here, he's kind of circumspect about it. Um, he doesn't want to say, this is a sure thing, but it's a very, a very genuine reality. So in verse 13, he says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? He's not denying that suffering happens. He's been talking about it throughout this letter so far. What he's saying is, in general, when the world's functioning pretty well, if you do good, would somebody come and persecute you for that? If you love your neighbor as yourself, are they going to burn your house down? Generally speaking, if you do what is good, if you do what God has revealed to be right, generally speaking, that will work in the world. People will find that okay. And, and the reason for that is because God created humanity in his own image. He made us like him. And one of the aspects of us that he made in his image is our conscience, our heart. We have a sense, we know what is right and what's wrong. Now, since the fall of man, that's distorted and it gets perverted at times. But generally speaking, we have kind of an idea of what's right and what's wrong. Um, generally speaking, people don't think murder is okay. Generally speaking, people don't think theft is okay. So there's this general idea of it. So what Peter's saying is, if you do what is good, you generally speaking won't be persecuted. You won't be in trouble. But that's not the whole answer, and he knows it. Um, don't forget, in, in John 21, Jesus explained to him how he would die. He says, you'll be led about, you know, you'll be clothed in ways you don't want, you'll be led where you don't want to go. And, and John says, in this, he was explaining to him how he's going to die. So he knows that Christians will be persecuted and will suffer injustice. What he's trying to do is, is prepare us for that in a gentle way. And so in verse 14, he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. So even if, it's not you will be, thou shalt be, but even if, when this comes upon people at times, that is a blessing. It is a blessing to suffer persecution. Where did he get that idea? Well, he got it from Jesus. You walk with Jesus for three years, you're going to pick something up. And so in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are you. So when we face persecution, when we, when we come into that, what Peter's trying to prepare us for is don't be surprised or think God lost it or something. God forgot about me. It is blessed to be persecuted. Now, there's a huge qualification on this. He said, persecuted for righteousness' sake. Uh, persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you on my account. If you're a jerk and people persecute you, you had that coming. And, and that's possible. You can be a real moron and have people really not like you, and that's not 
blessed. That's not gracious in God's sight. But if you're being a faithful and a true Christian, if you're walking with Jesus and people find that offensive, that's what Peter is saying, then you're blessed. And, and I think what he means by that is, is that promise that Jesus gives about being um, uh, persecuted for his sake is we will be persecuted and the kingdom of God is ours. What's happening is the kingdom of God is breaking into this world and it doesn't fit because this world is broken. And so it's coming in and it's making things right and people don't like that. So that's the blessing that we receive is we will be part of something that will last far longer than this world. So what I want to say first is, is in America, we are not persecuted. We're not suffering persecution here as Christians in America. We are opposed. We are sometimes harassed. But we're not facing the kind of persecution that Peter would be writing to people about, what they had experienced. However, that does not mean that Christians everywhere experience the same kind of safety and security that we do. In a 2015 Pew Research study, they said Christians have been harassed in more countries than any other religious group and had suffered harassment in many of the heavily, pop, heavily Muslim countries of the Middle East and North Africa. But the report also shows that this widespread harassment is due in part to the huge size and broad geographic dispersion of Christians around the world. And that in the Middle East is just one of the number of regions where Christians have faced harassment. Did you catch that? Because of the wide dispersion. What did I say the name of this series was? You can look at the screen. Hope in the dispersion. We are, what, what Peter told us is, we are the elect exiles of the dispersion. And that's not me, that's us, that's the church. And so as the church is scattered abroad throughout the world, we face harassment and persecution. So the, the study goes on. One of the problems is we think, oh, that happens in the Middle East. And it does. But there was an alarming thing in the, in the, uh, um, in the study. They go on and they said, um, do in part to the large number of Christian majority countries, Christians actually harassed, or Christians were actually harassed mostly in Christian majority countries. Let me say that again, because I blew it. <laughs> I want to say this one more time. Due in part to the large number of Christian majority countries, Christians were actually harassed mostly in Christian majority, majority countries. In some of these countries, the Christian majority was itself harassed often by the government. So even when we're the majority, the statistics are saying we're going to face, face harassment, possibly even persecution. And when you do, you are blessed. So the question is here, the, the question that, that, that I wanted to start with is, what is the reason for your hope? We're supposed to have hope in the dispersion. And part of being in the dispersion is to face opposition, harassment, uh, ridicule, and sometimes physical persecution. And so, friends, where is your hope? What are you hoping in? Peter's going to answer for us. He's going to give us this answer that, again, I found really surprising. In uh, the second part of chapter, verse 14, have no fear then, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ is holy. Here's your hope. Now, what is he doing here? What Peter is doing is he's not quoting 
but he is citing. As a matter of fact, what I would say is I think he's applying for us Isaiah chapter 8. So here's what it says in Isaiah chapter 8. For the Lord spoke thus to me with this strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the ways of, those pe- of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people call conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. So this is what Peter, I think he's, he's looking to Isaiah 8, and he's applying it to us. Now, who is this people? Well, in Isaiah's context, this people would be unfaithful Judah. It would be the people of Judah who are turning away from Yahweh, who are turning to the nations, turning to false gods. And what God is doing is he's telling Isaiah, don't do what this people do. You remain faithful. There's this faithful remnant in the midst of Judah that they're going to go into exile too. But he's calling them to not fear what those people fear. In other words, this people, this unfaithful generation that that Isaiah was in, they're afraid of the nations. They're afraid of, of the armies that are facing them. They're afraid of the ridicule of the nations around them. Isaiah, don't be afraid of that. Instead, fear the Lord. We talked about that earlier. Peter brought up what the fear of the Lord is. First of all, the fear of the Lord is fear. It is a fear of the Lord. It's not just respect. It's actual fear because he is so much greater, so much grander, so much more powerful than we are that we can fear him. But it's a fear that doesn't cause us to run away. It causes us to draw closer. It's a fear unlike any other fear. So what he's saying is don't fear what they fear, fear the Lord. So the way Peter, our apostle, applies it for us is he doesn't say uh, don't be afraid of what they're afraid of. What he says is don't fear them. Why does he switch from fear what they fear to don't fear them? I think what he's doing is he's looking, he's saying, you know what, There's, there's the church, and then there's Jews, and then there's Gentiles. And so we're already a different thing. We're already set apart from what the Jews or the Gentiles are afraid of. We're already doing that. And the Jews and the Gentiles then are attacking us. And so don't be afraid of what they're doing is a way of saying don't fear what they fear. <laughs> kind of a circumspect way of doing that. What comes next is the part that really blows your mind. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That is his application of the saying, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall hold as holy. The reason that we can have hope in the dispersion, the reason that we can have hope in the face of persecution is because Jesus is God. That's what he's saying. Isaiah said, the Lord of hosts, shall, you shall hold him as holy and let your, let your fear be of him. Peter interprets that for us as Jesus Christ is the one that is to be held holy. Now, the way it gets translated is um, a little difficult. In in the ESV, it says, um, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Um, The word honor really isn't there. The word that's behind that is the word for sanctify, to make holy. And so that's why they put honor in there is trying to make the sentence make sense. But it is sanctify Christ as holy in your heart. Sanctify means make holy. So you see the redundancy going in that? Um, The uh, NIV translates it as um, uh, respect, or revere, rather. Revere Christ in your heart. Uh, The uh, uh, NAS says, hold as holy, which I think is a better translation, probably. It kind of gets at it. But that's the idea, is what we're supposed to do 
is we're supposed to recognize Jesus Christ as the Lord of hosts, as Yahweh of hosts. That's who Jesus is. And we are supposed to say, because that's who he is, in my heart, in my mind, in my life, he is holy. I'm going to hold him in respect. That's why we gather on Sundays to worship him, is we're doing what Peter is commanding us to do here. Now, that happens on Sunday morning. What happens on Thursday afternoon? Are you still holding Christ as holy in your heart at, the, at that point? It can be difficult. That's why we have midweek groups getting together trying to encourage each other. In a world that is pushing against us so hard, sometimes it's hard to maintain that sense of reverence for who Christ is. We need to hear it. We need to remind each other. We need to pray for it. We need to seek and pursue it because this is our hope. Captain Pike, as he looked into the future and saw what, his, what was waiting for him was horrible disfigurement and disability, and it devastated him. Why did it devastate him? Because he couldn't see past it. For him, life, as he was living it, is all. And what happens when it's taken away from me? And his hope is crushed. He's, he's going to have to work through this. What about for us? If we look into our future and we see persecution, if we see trials, if we see hands being cut off or uh, being imprisoned underground or something like that, can we, will we lose hope at that point? If we look into the future and we see our property being confiscated, because we, we pronounce Christ, because we say we're, we're Christians. Would that be the end of it for us? Would we just be crushed? Why not? Because we look past that. We're looking beyond that, because what we're seeing beyond that immediate trouble is something even more glorious. Jesus Christ, God himself, came into the midst of this persecution. In John, he reminds us, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And by the way, they did persecute him. That's God. That's not some other person. That's God coming right down into the middle of the mess and saying, I'm with you. I'm walking with you. And so when we look to the future and we see that horrible, dis horrible disfigurement, that trouble, that difficulty, when we see old age creeping up on us, when we see death and disease coming our way, we don't have to lose hope. Because for us, that's not the end. That's the doorway. That's not the end, that's the beginning. And so this is how we can have hope when the world rages against us. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. There is, a whole, there is nothing greater than that. There is a whole bunch less than that. Our hope must be fixed on Jesus Christ as who he is, the eternally begotten second person of the Trinity, God himself, God incarnate, true man and true God, one person who is with us. And he went to Isaiah to show us that. So he goes on. He, he says that we're supposed to remember this. We're supposed to hang on to this. This is the thing that we're supposed to grab hold of. And we're supposed to sanctify or hold holy or revere Christ in our hearts. So in other words, I, what I thought of when I heard this was I thought of the song from uh, Hillsong, um, I raise a hallelujah. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah, my weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah, heaven comes to fight for me. I just wanna remind you again, hallelujah, what that means. The first part, halal, in Hebrew is worship, is praise. The ooh in the middle, 
is the second person plural, you, everyone. You worship, and the Yah at the end is the shortened version of Yahweh. So when we say hallelujah, what we're saying is all of you worship Yahweh. So I raise all of you worship Yahweh in the presence of my enemies. What can they do to me? I'm I'm not coming at them with a weapon. I'm not coming at them with an offensive uh, remark. I am saying, worship Yahweh. Inviting them in. That's how we do this. That's how it works. This is how we have hope in the midst of this, is remember that our praise is greater than their, their condemnation. And so the rest of 15, verse 15, he says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for your hope that is in you. I need to spend a little time on this and unpack this a bit because it's often misapplied, I think. Um, I, I can remember hearing this and thinking, well, nobody's ever asked me about my hope. What am I doing wrong? It must be me. Let's put this back in context. What's the context? Persecution, suffering. So what Peter is saying is when you're being persecuted, when the world is arrayed against you, when people are hating you and burning your house down and stealing your goods and calling you names and all of these things, People look and go, how can you have hope? They've taken everything from you. And Peter's saying, be ready in that instance to offer a reason for that hope that you have. So this is not the key verse for apologetics. Though, go ahead and do apologetics. This is a verse that's telling you, be ready. Be ready to answer when somebody says, how can you, how can you find joy? You've, you've just lost your whole family. How can you find joy in the midst of that? Because for me, death is not the end. Jesus Christ has gone ahead of me. He's died and he's raised again. He's shown me the way. He's shown me the way that he's going to take me. That's the reason for my hope. Not because we got the right person in the White House or because we lowered taxes or whatever it is. My hope is because Jesus Christ died and rose again. So when you face persecution and when somebody asks you, how on earth can you do that? Be ready to offer an answer for that. Have it on your lips because of Jesus. He's made it all better. Now, when we talk about this, I want to make sure that I'm clear that when I'm talking about persecution, I'm also talking about suffering because Peter has talked quite a bit about suffering in here too. And so suffering, you may suffer because of persecution, but you can suffer for other things. We just prayed for Daniel and for Anthony and for Chris who are suffering because of physical ailments. When we see those, when people see us in that kind of a situation too, and suffering and we still have hope, but you, you lost your leg, you're never going to be able to run again or ride a bike, how can you have hope? Because that's the, that doesn't matter. That's not eternal. It won't last. The reason for my hope is Jesus Christ. So I lost a kidney. It's okay. I get it back in the end. I cheated. I looked at the end of the book. There's a resurrection. So always be ready to answer, to give an answer for the hope that's in you. And don't feel bad if nobody ever comes up to you when you're comfortable, when life is good, when you've got enough money, when everything's going well. Don't feel bad if nobody ever comes up to you and goes, wow, how do you have hope in such a horrible situation? It doesn't work that way. But when trouble comes, that's when, our, that's when we're tested. When trouble comes, will you have that hope? And that's the thing is Peter is presuming to start with you have hope. If you don't have hope, you can't explain a reason for it because you don't have it. You have to have hope. So if you have hope in anything short of Jesus Christ, anything less, 
It will fail you. I can guarantee it. Again, I looked at the end of the book. It all gets burned up. Our hope has to be in Christ alone. So if you haven't put your trust in Christ, if he isn't the only hope that you have in this life and in the next, I want to ask you, go ahead and do that. He is offering it to you. The door is open, and he's extending that hand to you, saying, come and join me. And he'll accept you because it's not about you. It's about him. So then he goes on. Peter goes on. He says, so be ready to offer this answer. Verse, the last part of 15, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Do it with gentleness and respect. So again, if we're focusing on that hope that you have, and the reason that somebody might ask you, um, you're on social media, and somebody, there. by the way, there are plenty of jerks on social media. Don't add to the, the number. You, you don't need to be a jerk back. You're on social media, you say, hey, I'm a Christian, and somebody comes in and just starts laying into you about, what a fool, how can you believe that garbage? It's all, you know, that never happened, it's all made up, man-made book, blah, 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 blah. The feeling, the immediate, the immediate response is, and it's right immediate because your hands are on the keyboard. You can just type back, oh, shut up, jerk face. That's not the way to do it. Nobody's going to ask you about your hope if you're mean back to somebody who's mean to you because that means you have the same hope they have, which is their political position or their theological position or whatever it is. So that's why Peter tells us you have to answer with gentleness and respect. And, and I got to tell you right now, Tim Keller is on Twitter and he is trying to be as gracious and as careful as he can be. And the trolls are just attacking him left and right. And the great thing about Tim is he is doing, he replies with gentleness and, and with respect. So he was, he was talking about um, how Christians should respond in the, in the environment that we're in which, by the way, he says we should respond with gentleness and respect. I can't imagine where he got that from. There was an article in First Things that came out and said, you know, I used to be a big Tim Keller fan, but the times have changed, baby. Since 2016, everything's different. We can't keep following that same prescription. And I'm thinking, but it's biblical. It's not Tim Keller. It's Tim telling us to be biblical. This works. Why does this work? Because that's how God set up the universe. Jesus came humble and lowly, didn't he? Did he come as a thundering champion of righteousness and, and, and all the good things? He came as a, as a slave, as the servant, as the lowest of the low. He submitted himself to death on the cross. This gentleness and respect, while it may get you punched, it works in the end. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, they'll be put to shame. We've got to have a long view here. We've got to have a long view. If we're looking for immediate results, we'll resort to the retaliation in kind. If we're looking long term, we'll go, you know what? Jesus is coming back. He, he's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron, and nobody gets away with nothing. So if you're going to be like that, I'm going to ask you not to be, but I'm not going to take it personal. Because in the, in the day when judgment comes, you will be put to shame. I want to keep my conscience clean. I want to keep my conscience pure. And then in verse 17, he says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Did you catch it? If that should be God's will. 
when you suffer for doing good, that did not get away from God. It might be God's will that you're suffering for doing good. Why is that good news? To the unbelieving world, that is utter gibberish. That makes no sense. Why would God do that to his people? I thought he loved you guys. I thought you were special. It makes sense because, and, and it's a source of hope because what it means is that persecution, that opposition, that, that ridicule is not beyond God's control. It didn't get past God's hand. He let it happen because he has a design in it. He has a purpose in it. I've mentioned this before. My Calvinism is God does stuff on purpose, he, including letting his people suffer. If, if you doubt this, please go read Hebrews chapter 11 and ask yourself, were any of those people in Hebrews chapter 11 having their best life now? I don't think they were. And yet, they're all commended for their faith because they're looking forward to a heavenly Jerusalem. So this might be God's will that you suffer. And that's great news because it's in control. It's in his hands. He sets the beginning. He sets the end. He understands what happens in the middle. He is going to do a purpose in that that's going to accomplish his things that he wants done. So this is great news. So where is your hope? If your hope is with Captain Pike in the immediate future and then crushed if that's gone, you're not going to make it. Peter is begging us. He is showing us. He's held up Jesus Christ as that great. As a matter of fact, in 2 Peter, what he says is, God has granted us all things that are needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us for his glory to the great and precious promises. Peter is consistent in this theme. Your hope has to be rooted in who Jesus is. And if it is, it will survive. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that the song that we sing would be real in us, that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, that when all around us gives sway, he is our hope and our stay. Lord, would you build that in us? Holy Spirit, would you ingrain that in us? Holy Spirit, when we're reading your word, would you yell it in our ears that God is faithful, that God is powerful, that God is true, that Jesus is God, that he has suffered with us, that, that, that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, suffered with us, and he knows, and he's with us in it all. And Lord, would you build our hope on that? When it's weak and when it's thin, would you make it strong? When we begin to doubt, when we begin to question, Lord, would you remind us of where our hope should be? Remind us of the truth of it. And Lord, I want to pray this prayer for not just our congregation, but certainly for us. Lord, would you bring this to be a reality throughout your evangelical church, throughout the United States, throughout the world? Lord, would you bring your people to a true and a saving hope in you? Remind us of where our hope is. Cure us from our, our um, weakness from the drunkenness we have on power and help us to trust in Jesus even more. We pray in Christ's name, amen.